and welcome to Ragman's Harbor, the official podcast of the Planetosi Exchange Program. We are a podcast discussing ESWA from non-Anglo perspective, since we are both from non-English speaking countries. In this podcast, we talk about historical and cultural parallels that we find between ESWA and real life. I am Virginie, and my pronouns are she, her in English. And I'm Lo, and my pronouns are they, them in English. So you might have noticed... We have an accent. Okay, we know it. Thank you very much. No need to point it out. Kiss, kiss. Yes. And uh, also another disclaimer. In this podcast, we will potentially cover things from all ASWAF books, including histories and novellas, as well as Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. Be aware. And of course, you can write to us to tell us about, I don't know, how smart we are. Yes. Yes. Uh, and you can do that on our social media. We are at Redman's Pod on Twitter, that is called X these days, and on Blue Sky. Also at gmail.com, Redman's Pod. No question whether there's a U after the O. Mm. That was smart of us. Yes. Because we are smart, remember? We are very so, smart. <laughs> what are we talking about today in this third episode of ours? Well, we're talking about names. Oh, names. The thing people are called? Yes, exactly. The thing I decided to change once in my life. It was very fun. Wow, that's very exciting. And legal in France since 1992. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um. Yeah, researching this topic was really, really interesting. I mean, I had things I wanted to research in particular, and that gave me a wonderful excuse to do so. So um, I think it's time for you to get us started because I'm too excited to shout two words in particular a few times today. So um, please, Lo, start us. Yes. Well... I thought I would start with first names in Swedish history. And the oldest records of Swedish names are found on runestones, and they are from around the year 400. Those include names like Langes, Holte, and Frara Vardardar. That's such a weird name, but it said so on the <laughs> website. Um, anyway, these names haven't survived to today. Uh, very sad uh, that I can't Probably. say Frara Vardardar. Uh, more in my life. It's a mouthful. Yes, yes. But names that were found on runestones from the 800s, like Ulf, Björn, Sven and Karl, are still used today. And one reason that we know a lot of names uh, from runestones specifically is that runestones tended to have stuff like this stone was raised by Björn for his father Ulf, or stuff like mm. that. And also, as a side note, uh, some people might remember Jason Ulf in Aeswaf, Ulf the White, uh, one of the mm -hmm. betrayers during the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, and it always messes with my head when I hear English speakers uh, say that name because they tend to say, say Ulf the White. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I know, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be Ulf the White, but in Swedish you say Ulf, and I know several Ulf. My dad has several friends called Ulf, uh, and it always messes with my head when I hear English speakers say it. Anyway, that was my digression. Again. One of the singers from um, Ace of Base is Ulf. Yes, that is also yeah. true. 
Um, I should also note that uh, while we know a fair bit about some names during this era of Scandinavian history, we don't know not a lot about names of people who couldn't afford to make runestones, which was most people. Mm. Uh, it seems likely the people in lower classes probably used the same names, but we can't be sure. And when it comes to thralls, we can we don't know anything because no records were kept of thralls. Because why would you keep records of people who were only property? Yeah, <coughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some other names that have survived from this era are Harald. No, go. Oh, this is what happens when <laughs> I try to speak English and Swedish at the same. <laughs> <laughs> Other names from this era that have survived until today are Harald, Sigvard, Torsten, Gunnhild, Freja, and Ingrid. And I think all of these names are names that people would be like, this sounds Scandinavian. Um, yeah. And often names were chosen from existing names in the family, which I mean, still common today. But they, were, they had a particular system often, which was that the first son was named after the paternal grandfather and the second son was named after the maternal grandfather and the daughter, the first daughter was named after the paternal grandmother, etc. So there was like a system for how you named your kids. And also I found out when researching uh, that uh, uh, there is an interesting Sami tradition in how you named your kids, which was that yeah, like I'm gonna get in, into more on Sami things later, but it's related to this. Um, and for those who are new to the podcast or have forgotten, the Sami are the indigenous people of Scandinavia. And historically, names for Sami children were also chosen amongst family or ancestors' names. And the name was chosen either by the dead relative appearing in a dream or by you asking the Noid, which is kind of like a shaman. Uh, so you ask the Noid uh, what to name the kid. And it was thought that the traits of the dead person uh, would be transferred to the child. Uh, and I think we can see some similar stuff in Aswa, for instance, with Danny naming her child and her dragons and thinking about how her brothers will be, like, not returning, but, like, be part of the child and the dragons because of the naming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And another way of choosing names in Sweden during the 9th and 10th centuries was to use alliteration. So you're gi- giving all children in the family names starting with the same letter, like Torsten, Torhild, and Torgil. And we kind of see a similar tradition in Aeswaf with the naming of Tormund's children. Yeah. He, his own name obviously starts with a T, and he has two sons named Torreg and Torwind. And his two other sons are named Drin and Dormund both starting with a D. And then he also had a, has a daughter called Munda, which seems to be derived from his own name. Also, you know... Such as Dormund. Yes, exactly. Dormund. Yes. Mm. So, I mean, also, I think I sort of accidentally pronounced these names in Norwegian uh, because they sound very Scandinavian <laughs> to me. I do the same except in Danish because mm. it makes better sense to me. But yes, yep. like Dormund, come on. Danish king. Yeah. I mean, they should have a king named Tormund. I'm not sure, but they should. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but speaking, speaking of the free folk, I just, I gotta mention Jarl, Val's boyfriend, Jarl. Um, in Swedish and possibly other Scandinavian language, I didn't bother looking this up, but in Swedish at least, uh, Jarl is a title, uh, meaning something like Earl or Lord. Yeah. 
Uh, and the most famous Jarl in Swedish history is probably the man who is usually referred to as Birger Jarl, who founded Stockholm in 1252. So it's kind of ironic to me that someone from the Free Folk has a name that means Lord or Earl. But isn't it also a name? In, like, I know, obviously, Earl is a title in English, but isn't it also a name? Earl? Earl. Yeah, I think so. Not like Earl Grey, because Earl Grey is clearly the title, like Mr. Grey, but... I think I've seen people named Earl. I think so, yeah. Or probably they're American because they butcher everything over there. Mm. Mm, No respect. Yeah. But it's just, it's, I've I've never heard anyone called Jarl in Swedish as a name. Uh, That's not a thing. Uh, So it's just (sighs) funny to me that someone from the free folk would have a name that means Earl or Lord. (laughs) And he's referred to as Val's pet yes which makes yes. it even funnier considering it's supposed to be you know a very fancy title exactly very funny thank mm-hmm. you very much george for this funny reference and i'm sure he knows it because he studied uh, scandinavian studies in some capacity so he must be aware that it's a title in a high one and so it's funny i'm sure it's conscious this time yeah well continuing on in the history of swedish first names Around the 12th century, Christianity started reaching Scandinavia, and with it also came a lot of different names, for instance, biblical names and names of saints and martyrs. And some of the first Christian names to reach Sweden were names of queens that were born outside of Sweden but married Swedish kings, and these included Christina, Katarina, and Margareta. And when it comes to masculine names, the names of the apostles became common, uh, for instance, uh, Petrus, Johannes, and Andreas. And they also got Nordic versions like Per, Johan, and Anders. Uh, and I'm sure that's a thing in French French history too, like switch, changing the names to make them more French. Yes, of course. Um, so <laughs> I'm not actually sure what... Your regular people, our regular people, were called in the early medieval times because do you think they left a lot of traces? No, clearly not. They did not. Uh, For the same reason you mentioned about early medieval Scandinavians. But, you know, what would be the French equivalent to Will or Pate in Aswaf? I want to suppose it was already Marie and Paul back in the day. So Mary, you know, the Virgin and Paul, Paul, you know, the apostle, him too. Uh, They are to this day the most common names for female and male French people. However, what I can say is that what I'm much more familiar with is more modern times because, you know, I live through them. And, And are we ready for French modern history? So during the French Revolution and precisely on the 11th of Germinal of the year 11, which that was the revolutionary calendar, which in the regular calendar would be the 1st of April, 1803. So just before Napoleon crowned himself emperor, uh, there was a law passed that only names from the calendars, plural at the time, very good, and uh, well-known names from ancient history would be allowed as names Mm. in France, and that had to be controlled by uh, registrar officials. So you have a registrar everywhere, like in every city or every town, every village, whatever. So when the baby is born, 
I think at the time it was already the same as it is now. So uh, the dad typically had three days to go and declare this baby at the registrar and give him or her his names, her names. That's confusing because French doesn't do the his, her thing. Anyway, so baby gets names, okay? Usually, typically in France, we have three first names. They are not middle names, they are first names with equal status, all of them. And therefore, all of them had to conform to this law that had to be controlled by the registrar officials. That gave them a lot of power at a very local level. Uh, and that also meant that some people might not care as much, and therefore you could do more than just get a name from the registrar, I mean, from the calendar at the time, or from ancient history. Now, the calendars, I don't know what exactly was the calendars, plural, in uh, the revolution, but um, much more recently that meant the calendar we all have in France, and that is one with saint names on almost every day except holidays. Like Christmas is written Christmas, it's not written Saint Emmanuel, because I know that's the one, but because uh, that's my brother's name. But, uh, so remember episode one, I mentioned Saint Barthélemy, and it's on the 26th of August, and that's the name that's written on the calendar. So you could be named Barthélemy, if you're a little boy, uh, being brought into this world, but you could not be named, I don't know, Raymond, that is not on the calendar that we use to this day. And I know that because it is also, on, we share a saint's day. What can I do? My name is also not on the calendar. I could not have been named Virginie back in the day if the registrar official was like really onto his work. Uh, so saint names. Let's see what those saint names look like. First of all, there's no saint Jesus. I want to make that a thing because I know in other Catholic countries, mm. such as Spain or Latin America, um, Portugal, a lot of people are named Jesus. Well, there's no Saint Jesus, therefore there's no Jesus on the calendar, therefore there's no Jesus going around in France. Mm. Easy. Uh, people from the Old Testament in the Bible, but they're also not saints, typically. So there's no like Ismael or Israel or you name it. There's none of those. Uh, I mean, there's probably some in France, but they're probably not Christian. They're probably Jewish. Now, if you or if you meet a little boy and his name is Joseph, and he's not noble because that would be a different story. He's probably Portuguese mm. because Jose is a very common name in Portugal. Like Jose is also in. Uh, mm. Spain. So that's where France, Spain, and Portugal are super different on our naming conventions. Although we use the same book as a reference, but we don't use the same people in this book. And we use the saints even more than they do, which is crazy because we're all Catholic and we love saints, mm -hmm. don't we? Um, now, I'm not going to talk about people whose language is not French in France. I'll get to them later. But... Uh, you might have mentioned, I mean, noticed already that we have a very small pool of names to draw from with this system. There's only 365 days in the year and approximately like, I don't know, 50 of those days are a holiday of sorts. So a name is not written. It doesn't leave a lot of options. Then some of those no. are even repeated, like Catherine. There's two saints, Catherine, repeated on the calendar. Um, <laughs> my mother's generation, like I'm not joking, 
most of my friends growing up, their mother was also Catherine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it worked. Uh, and just like in the books, Will and Pate are the only commonest names we meet all the time. Uh, our yeah. Will and Pate, I don't know, Paul and Pierre, mm-hmm. saints, very big saints. And they're everywhere, all over the page. Um, and now for some personal history. So I said my name was not on the calendar and could not have been, I mean, it still is not. I know Saint Virginie, very cool um, lady, I'm sure, from the 6th century, was a shepherd. Yes, we love shepherds. And her holiday or feast day is on the 7th of January. I know it because I looked it up. I had to research. But uh, a name that is not in the calendar besides mine is my... (laughs) The name my great-grandfathers, who had come from Spain, wanted to give my grandmother. Now they were like, all right, we're in France, we're going to give our baby daughter a French name. And they went to the registrar and gave the name they wanted. And it was French indeed, but not on the calendar. Mm -hmm. So the registrar official said, no, we're changing it to this similar name that is in the calendar. And therefore, it's my grandmother's name. And because I am named after my grandmothers, both of them, my second and third name, my second name is not what my great-grandfather and mother wanted, but what the registrar official decided would be right. Fun. Isn't it nice? Like, they were really trying to conform to French. Yeah. French, I don't know, language, culture, you name it. But that was not enough. Anyway, I let you continue. Yeah, I think, uh, like speaking of Christian names and religious names influencing, I tried to find figure out if there was some Aswaf parallels to that, and I I thought of two. One was that mm-hmm. uh, we know that the Targaryens named their dragons after uh, Valerian gods. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know much more about that, but we know that happened. Uh, and then I tried to find, think of more examples of Ace of people being named of religious figures. And there aren't really many, which made me realize that we don't really have many named religious figures in Acewolf. Like with uh, the Faith of the Seven, we have we have like the Maiden, the Crone, and etc. But we don't have any saints or martyrs or apostles or whatever like named people from the Seven Point of Star, like we have in uh, the Abrahamic religions. Yeah. The only thing I could think of was that we know that there was a dude named Sir Galadon that Brienne talks about, uh, who gets this yeah. fancy sword from the Maiden, and then he doesn't use the sword because he's an honorable knight, etc. And we know that Brienne's brother, who died as a child, was named Galadon. And that's yeah. the only I could example I could think of. Uh, I would actually classify that one a bit differently. I would say it as onomastic stock. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, fair point. Like, he could very well have been sanctified, I suppose, if he were a Christian. Yeah. Or Catholic, to be more specific. Um, because Catholics love saints, don't we? Yes. Uh, and like, I suppose being given a gift by the maiden and not using it to be so pure. Yeah, that's saint uh, material right there. Yeah. Miracle worker. Mm hmm. Exactly. 
But uh, going back to Swedish history, I wanted mm-hmm. to mention how we were inf- eventually influenced by other countries when it came to names. Uh, like when the middle, as the Middle Ages progressed, many names in Sweden became influenced by who we traded with, specifically the Hansa, so the German trading group. So we got names like Albrecht and Fredrik. Uh, and Fredrik is such a common name in Sweden. Yes. Uh, I, we were talking about this in the uh, Westerosi Bar Association Slack the other day. I had two Fredriks in my high school class and also uh, one of our teachers was named Fredrik. So it was, it was confusing. Um, I have to say it's also semi-common in France, at least yeah. for my generation, not before. But we pronounce it Frédéric, yeah. and the fem- female version is also Frédéric, different spelling. And yeah, we obviously, have it's also, yeah. it, obviously, it's also the crown prince of Denmark's name. Yes. And it's very importantly, one of the characters in Young Royals is named Frédéric. <laughs> of course! I so, mean, they have good names. It's a great... Great show. Everybody should watch it mm-hmm. um, and learn Swedish properly. Yes, yes oh. exactly. Look at me, sit right. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of royals and nobles, um, <laughs> they of, often during the Middle Ages they um, they would have names from a variety of countries because like people married in into the royal and noble families, uh, mm-hmm. and the names were often inherited. Uh, so noble children might have several first names, like you mentioned in the French case that you often have several first names. But it didn't become common in the general population to have first several first names or middle names until the 18th century. But like I mentioned, uh, names were often inherited, and that was ver- becomes very clear in the noble families and in the royal family. So, for instance, if you look at Swedish royals, I think I, I mentioned the last episode that there were so many Katarinas uh, in the Swedish mm-hmm. royal family. But to give another example, let me list the Swedish monarchs from Gustav Vasa going forward. So we yes. have... Gustav the First, Erik the Fourteenth, Johan the Third, Sigismund the Third. Karl the Ninth, Gustav Second Adolf, Christina, Karl the Tenth, Karl the Eleventh, Karl the Twelfth, Ulrike Eleonora, Fredrik the First, Adolf Fredrik, Gustav the Third, Gustav the Fourth Adolf, Karl the Thirteenth, Karl the Fourteenth, Oscar the First, Karl the Fifteenth, Oscar the Second, Gustav the Fifth, Gustav the Sixth Adolf, and now we're up to Call the 16th Gustav. So for anyone not keeping track, that's six Gustav, six Karls, two Oscars, and then Adolf is recurring as either a first or middle names three times as well. Um, so you know me, and I am absolutely going to say the truth that no one wants yes. to see here. Onomastic stock. <gasps> Gasp. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> Anyway, continue on. My joy is going yes. to... Yeah, yeah. yes, this is, of course, very similar to what we see in Aeswath with both royal names and noble names. Like, look at all the Aegans, Yeharis, Viserys, Reina, Rhaenys, etc. But also all the freaking Brandons in the Stark <laughs> family. So many and Brandons. Don't forget yeah. the Johns. All the Johns. Uh, so many Johns. <sighs> yes, and... While we're on onomastic stock, probably I should explain what it is. Yes. So, uh, an onomastic, onomastics, 
typically means like names, right? The just names uh, without getting into uh, too much detail. And stock is, as you might have guessed, a stock. So what is your stock of names? Typically in a family, because that's um, what we're dealing with here. Families or lineages that can draw back from their onomastic stock, which means the names of their ancestors, or as I'm going to touch on, elements of the names of ancestors or like direct ancestors or a bit further up or uncles, whatever. Very important concept. That is why to this day, every Swedish name is, uh, I mean, royals are kind of like the same name, as you said, Carl. <laughs> like, it's so funny. I love that you counted them. Like, yeah, Gustav, six, Carl, six. And then only two Oscars. That's really sad. I don't know who the original Oscar was, but he doesn't get enough credit. That's what I want to say. Now, uh, you might think the French big star is Louis of all our kings. Yes, you're correct. Depending on how you count and when you end royalty, we have something like 18 kings who have had the name Louis, 18, one eight. Um, yeah, our onomastic stock is definitely heavy on Louis. That originally was, are you ready? I'm going to yes. read in Frankish, a language no one speaks. Rudowicus, <clears throat> Rudowicus. Lovely name. Lovely name. Um, and you may guess why we now say Louis instead, yes. or Louis in English. Because there's no freaking way on earth a French person with a French language as a mother tongue can pronounce Rudowicus without mm. looking weird. Now, where did this funny name come from, you may ask? Well, see, the um, people of Westeros one day woke up to Valyrian kings. Amazing! The Targaryens had come from over the sea and brought their weird names with their weird onomastic stock, full of agons. And dynamics mm -hmm. and whatever else is weird. All right. Well, we in France one day were full of Romans because we were part of the Roman Empire. And the next, we were kind of full, because not the whole country, but sort of full of Frankish uh, rulers who became kings. And the Frankish, yeah, you might think sounds kind of like France, yeah, because we get the name of the country from them eventually, very, very long later. But uh, they were definitely not from what is now France. They were from what is now Belgium and Germany. Mm -hmm. And they were not even Christian. Ooh, bad. So very much like the Valyrians, different kings, I mean, different people, different gods, different names, impossible to pronounce names, I should mm -hmm. say. And yet they ruled. How did they do that? Well, they didn't have dragons, you know, that's mm -hmm. uh, not in their favor. However, they had one wonderful thing. They could convert to Christianity. Ooh. And even better thing, they could convert to the right branch of Christianity. We're in the fifth century and Catholicism is becoming big. And like the Vatican is becoming really important, has some sort mm -hmm. of army, has power. So the Pope in the Rome is powerful. But there are Christians who don't care about the Pope in Rome. You have those who care about uh, the, not a Pope, but something like a Pope in uh, Constantinople, mm. so the Eastern Christianity. And even in Europe, you have Arians, nothing to do with a certain Adolf type of Arians. So they were a branch of Christians 
who really disagreed with the Catholics on the Holy Trinity. So boring stuff, you might say. But back in the day, that was seen as an heresy, right? Yes, so yes. these Frankish people who had not converted to any sort of Christianity were free to convert to Catholicism and get the support of the Vatican and a bunch of other powerful people, which they did. And our first official king of France, that the Germans also claim, or whatever, was Rudo Wicus, also known as Clovis. That's, that's easier to pronounce. <laughs> but uh, that's what we call him. But obviously, later on, the very same name became Louis. Yes. Or Louis, right? Uh, and he, like everyone else around him in the Frankish nobility, Frankish, what to become royal family, and Frankish world, and Germanic world in, at large. Yeah, they were a Germanic people, not a Romance people. Well, maybe I should have said that. Uh, they didn't have any last name. Mm. They just had a first name. And that was enough. Because what? They drew from their onomastic stock. And only descendants of people who had a certain name could use this certain name. Which means that no one who is not from Rudowicus's family could be named Rudowicus. So we know he doesn't need a last name when we yeah. know exactly who he's descended from, right? So a very different concept from the Roman concept where you had three names. Your first name, your f surname, and your gens name, like family name thingy. Mm -hmm. So these Germanic rulers were like, yep, let's make do with the old Roman system and change things in this country that will now be ours. Uh, so yes, only one name. I mean, the Targaryens have a last name, sure enough, but you don't need to know a person is a Targaryen with the last name Targaryen. When they come and they tell you, my name is Aegon, you're like, okay, you're a Targaryen, aren't you? Except right. when the phrase are being weird and decide to name a kid Aegon, but that's just the phrase being weird. That is the phrase being absolute assholes and upjumped at yes. that. So, um, terrible, don't do this. You, there are rules, and obviously they're the phrase. They don't follow them. Uh, so the rule of uh, getting your name from your onomastic stock is something that lasts for centuries. And uh, it's unclear whether the Frankish were already doing that before coming to France and becoming the ruling people among people who were different from them and certainly couldn't pronounce their freaking names. Um, I'm going to list a few Frankish names just so you can see how not French sounding they are. So Clovis, I already said it 500 times in two different versions. Pepin, Rupert, Willy Sowinde, Thuringbert, Adelheim, Lambert, Conrad, Adelhardt, Gerberge. You might think some of those sound familiar to your English ears, like Conrad, uh, or your Germanic, whatever language speaking ears, like Lambert, mm -hmm. Adelhardt, I'm sure you can relate to that. Rupert, which is, oh my God, it's Robert, who would have thought. Um, so yeah, they, they don't sound French because French is a Romance language, yeah. whereas Frankish, Germanic language. And yes, these people ruled us. Okay, so. Uh, Two, two, two. So all the royal families from the 4th to the 9th century 
practice hereditary naming, so you're named after your parents, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, or something like that, from either side of the family. This is important. There is also, it's not only patrilinear, it's also matrilinear. So patrilinear, the lineage from the father, matrilinear, the lineage from the mother. And that's how we eventually got the name Philippe, or Philip, added um, to the French royal onomastic stock from um, a queen, Anne, from Kiev. Anne of Kiev, that's her name. She uh, was married to Henry I, and she brought a name of one of her kings, and that name being Philip sounds very absolutely not Germanic, yeah, because it's a Greek word, but um, loves horses. That's what it means. And so now we get this non-Germanic king's name added to our option for king names. Uh, however, drawing from the further side of the family is more common. I've seen, like, depends on families, but overall it's a 60-40% mm. situation. But some important families would be a bit different. Um, but the Merovingians, so that's the first kings, the descendants of Clovis, who we call Merovingian because they have an ancestor called Merové, who they draw from. That was not the last name, as I explained before. They don't have one, but they are descended of Merové, and so we call them the Merovingians. Just like the Carolingians, who come a bit later, are descended of Charles, as you might be aware, there's a Charles the Great in French history, or Charlemagne, or Carlos Magnus. Yep, so we call his descendants the Carolingians. Actually, we call him a Carolingian too because, okay, we call the descendants of his grandfather Charles the Carolingians. Ah, very good. Now, the very first uh, kings and aristocrats of the Frankish, they did this very Germanic thing that you have not mentioned. I'm a bit surprised. Maybe that wasn't happening in Scandinavia. But instead of passing down a name, you would pass down elements of names. So names are usually two elements, like Rupert, Albert. You might have recognized there's a Bert everywhere here. Yes. Lambert, too, etc., etc. Et and you stick them together. Yeah. And then you have one new name that is descended from these two people who gave half mm. of their name, right? Or you can also make a variation on a name. Uh, and here I'm going to give examples where we have sons named after their mother's name. So, again, not very familiar names for me, okay? Bert Hegunda has two sons. They are Bert Hamunus. Yeah, I can't say that. Again, Bert Hegunda has two sons, Bert Ramnus and Bertulfus. And in Bertulfus, I see Bert, that is a very common Germanic mm. element, and Ulfus. Back to your Ulf earlier, that's Wolf. I know what yes. that one means, it's pretty well known. Um, so I don't know where he got the Ulfus from, but I know he got the Bert from his mom. Now we have a lady called Leutzinda, and her son is Leutzius. No, Leudesius. I'm telling you, these are weird names. Think, I mean, if you go back to Aswaf, Valerian names are weird as, right? Yes. Frankish names, same, same. Uh, so, now that we have very well established Frankish kings on the throne, 
their name, uh, the good Frankish name, from the correct family. So during the Merovingian times, uh, mm. from their family, or during the Carolingian time, from their family, becomes the sign that a son is legitimate and the father deems him worthy and capable of inheriting. Uh, so for instance, if a son is not named one of those onomastic stock royal names, that becomes a problem when there's no more heir. Mm. But there's this one kid who doesn't have the correct name. So for instance, Childeric um, II had one son that he named Daniel, Daniel, after the one saint who doesn't get eaten by lions. Yeah, right. So very Christian name, that one, definitely not even Germanic. And the plan was, we give this kid to the church and he's sent to a monastery. He's not meant to be uh, an heir to the throne. The problem is his brothers die. So what happens? Well, the good people of the Merovingian court are like, all right, let's go fetch this kid out of the monastery and change his name to Chilperic. So not Childeric like his dad, but Chilperic with a P. And it's all good now. He has a perfectly suitable name for a king. I'm sure it went very, very well with him being not at all prepared for um, ruling, but totally for praying anyway. Um, so yeah, the name is super important and it has to come from the correct onomastic stock. And uh, and then we have, so I mentioned the Carolingians, descendant of Charles uh, again. And Charles is a name that didn't really seem to exist until this one Charles, Charles Martel, Charles the Hammer. Mm -hmm. Did you think uh, SWF names were fun with nicknames? Oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> we have a king called Charles the Hammer. He was not exactly king, but close enough. Anyway, he had a brother whose name was, are you ready? Drogon! Yes! Wow. I didn't need to invent an SWF parallel for this one. We have a king's brother named same as a dragon. Amazing. Ta-da! I have no idea what this name meant because I don't speak Frankish, but probably something to do with dragons. Uh, what do I know? That seems likely. Yeah. Uh, so Dragon obviously was only the brother to someone, but that someone was quite important. So he had two sons, Pépin or Pépin and Carloman. Now, let's not care for a minute about Pépin. <laughs> but Carloman, he has a son and his name is Dragon. Yes! I'm going to say it as many times as I can. I'm going to invent how it's pronounced. Drogon. Because I don't speak Frankish, remember. Now, guess who is Drogon's cousin? Charles the Great! Also known as Charlemagne or um, Pepin the Shorts. That's his name, Pepin the Short. Son. I love that we get Lord of the Rings and Aesworth in the same family. I mean, did you really think that authors were that creative? No, they're just That's like, oh my God, history is so full of weird shit. Let's just go and draw from it. So Pippin, that's a French king. Let's use that in a book. Okay, awesome. So, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the Carolingians, they're big on this naming convention thingy. And the most famous one of them is Charles the Great, cousin to Dragon, son of Pepin, brother to Carloman, and grandson to Charles. 
and let me, um, I mean, you should be able to guess his son's names. Sadly, none of his sons is Drogon. Like, he totally missed out on the best name. He sucks. He might be called Charles the Great, but he's not. So, his sons are obviously Pippin, like his dad. Uh, although, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. He didn't make this child with his wife, but with a Friedelfrau. So I guess that means, I don't know, that's the only one I ever saw. So I know in German, Frau means woman, girl, and Friedel, that looks like free. So definitely not married anyway, not even his concubine, because then he has other children with a concubine. Anyway, who cares? What matters is that he called his, what should have been illegitimate son, the son of his own father. So we Mm -hmm. know he legitimized this kid. Yeah. Um, by naming him that name from this onomastic stock. Now, his second son is Charles, because why not call your son your own name? His third son, Carloman, like his own brother. So we have so far the names of literally all the Frankish kings of his own family. Very Mm -hmm. original. And then he has twins with another wife of his. And that other wife of his being herself a descendant of the Merovingian family. And so he's like, all right, cool. Let's name those twins after Merovingian kings so that they also have names that are kingly and also draw back to that other family that was before us and that we took down kind of thing. And so, yeah, legitimacy for my own rule. Awesome. And so his kings, his sons are Rudowicus, very original, and Rotarius. Hmm. or l'hôtel in modern French. So giving a name to your child is really saying who you are, who they are, and whether or not they're legitimate and can mm-hmm. inherit from you. All of his sons, even the one that was technically illegitimate, were legitimate because of their names. And no one could say no to that because he had named them. And we are right now in the 700s. He would become emperor in 800. And so we are way before what I mentioned uh, last time with Guillaume or William the Conqueror, whose dad has legitimized by saying he's my heir, mm-hmm. which is also a good way of doing it. Uh, but <laughs> he didn't even need to do that. He just made it clear by the name. And so again, I am extremely disappointed in him that he didn't ki- uh, name any of his sons Dragon. Yes. He sucks. So... Uh, so Carolingian kings can have kings, and I want to highlight that word, name their own children after Charles, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a few more of those kings, quite a few. Uh, they get king's names of the Carolingian branch. So that is why they're all named the same, obviously, because they're all named from such a small stock. Meanwhile, uh, Carolingian daughters like from the royal family, they are named queen names. But if a Carolingian girl, I mean, when they do marry in another family, they cannot use king names from their own family anymore because Mm. they're not marrying into a royal family or that would mean they're marrying their own brother and there is no incest. This is not Valeria, okay? (laughs) So, 
Um, now, you might wonder, what do they call illegitimate children? Well, let me tell you what, they had a lot of other names that were not royal, like Arnul, Dragon, or Bernard, hmm. common uh, <laughs> Carolingian non-royal names, so no king was ever named Dragon, sadly, sadly. Uh, <laughs> so this is um, all very good and well, but then we moved again from this Carolingian family to another family, the Capetians, and more specifically, eventually, to the Bourbon, our very last kings. We mm -hmm. love them, don't we? And all of them are named Louis, because, of course, uh, except those who are not named Louis and who are named Charles, or Charles, or Philippe. Philip, you know, I mm -hmm. explained earlier that that name was introduced by Anne of Kiev. Or very, very creatively, Louis-Philippe. So why not put them together? Um, and one fun fact about this royal family of ours, I mean, we don't have them anymore, obviously, is that they are currently still ruling in Spain. And you might notice that Spanish king's names are Luis, Carlos, Felipe, Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos was the king before this current king, who is Felipe. So, yes, it's the very same onomastic stock, except in Spanish. Yeah. Uh, and you might think, but in Belgium, they speak French and they have a king. So, are they also Louis? Well, no, not at all, because they are not Bourbon. So, they are Baudouin, Albert, Leopold. Like, no connection whatsoever. And you might think because you know me, that I'm going to talk about the Danish royal family, and you are correct. Now, <laughs> do you think <laughs> that the Danish royal family has anything to do with the French royal family? I feel like no. I No, no. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> but the current queen, Margrethe, uh, is, well, she's widowed now, um, so her husband was a French man, a French marquis, to be correct. Uh, and that is probably why, I suppose, her son and heir, Frederick, who is named like every second Danish king, so they're all Christian, Frederick, Christian, Frederick, Christian, Frederick, Margrethe, <laughs> Frederick, and his own son and heir is Christian, everything is good and well, but he has a few other kings, uh, kids, sorry, so there's an Isabella, Josephine, and... Vincent. Vincent. And when I saw that he had a kid called Vincent, I was like, what? That is the least noble name you can name a child that is son of a king. Because, okay, very French name, 10 out of 10, perfect name. But I think it is very clear that Vincent is not intended to rule ever. <laughs> you can name your kids at the end of your, like, um, lot of kids whatever you done want, because they're not going to rule. And if by total awful happenstances, all of his older siblings should pass, then I suppose Vincent would be renamed something a little less non-royal. Do you agree? I mean, that's likely. I'm just trying to think of our royal kids' names, and I... I'm blanking on everyone except the crown prince's first child, which is Estelle. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is her siblings? <laughs> I know their names, probably. I think there's an Oscar somewhere, uh, which is a noble name. Yes, 
Uh, but Estelle so, is kind of out of left field, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. That's what I wanted to point out. Like, yes. to this day, this onomastic stock thing is definitely still a thing yeah. in um, royal families. And I mean, I understand why. And um, I do want to make a huge, huge detour to where I lived for 10 years. If you don't yes. mind me talking about not France for a minute. And that is Tonga in the South Pacific, a kingdom that is uh, a kingdom. What can I say? To this day, there is a king. There has been a king for well over a thousand years. And Tonga is extremely big on onomastic stock. Uh, so a quick, uh, quick, quick explanation of Tongan things, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Not all of our listeners may be familiar with my extremely exotic life of uh, going to work every single day uh, on a small Pacific island nation and uh, that island nation being Polynesian and having Polynesian, a Polynesian language spoken uh, very much truly to this day and, um, and it's very own naming convention. So I know it's not too dissimilar in Samoa, but I'm not so familiar with Samoan things because I have never even been there. So in Tonga, usually, I mean, not usually, always, names come from your family and mm -hmm. typically on your father's side because it's your father's eldest sister, so your oldest auntie on your dad's side, who is going to probably name you from their own onomastic stock or maybe from an event around the time of your birth. So that marks you in the family and also in time. But then that name becomes part of the family onomastic stock and can be descended. Uh, so um, let's look at royal Tongan names. The very first king of Tonga in legend, I mean, definitely the truth, is Ahuaitu. Well, good news. You cannot be away too unless you're from the royal family. Mm How -hmm. awesome. But they're like the current Tongan king, Tupo VI. His name before he changed it to Tupo, because of course that's what happened. When you become the king, you change your name in Tonga. So his birth name is pretty long, but the first of his names is Awetu. Mm -hmm. And that really uh, marked him as a royal family member. He was not supposed to be the king. That was his big brother. But his big brother passed without uh, legitimate children. Therefore, the crown came to him. And he too became Tupo. Like his brother had himself become Tupo. Now, is that confusing? Yes, probably. But um, so that's really just giving you one quick example. The name belongs yeah. to the royal family. Cannot go anywhere else. Uh, although... Ahuaitu was given to the second son, mm. not a problem. Now, um, a bunch of other families, totally normal people, commoners, also have names that only belong to them, that don't exist anywhere else. And that's mm -hmm. totally normal in Tonga. Uh, so to give a very personal example, one of my two Tongan families has the name Mamevai. Now, if you meet a Mamevai, he has to be, I can tell you from what village and from what family, obviously, even if his last name is Mamevai or first name is Mamevai or somewhere in the middle is Mamevai, doesn't matter. This person is related to the Mamevai 
that um, is like a brother to me and <laughs> whose first name is actually Devita, but you know, who cares about these details? And that it cannot be otherwise. Mm -hmm. If your name is uh, Funoki Tonga, wait, sorry, if your first name is Funoki Hea Tonga, you're probably my friend and sister or a different family. And she herself is named after her great-grandmother. And that's all. You cannot be Funoki Hatonga if you're not from her family. Mm -hmm. The end. So, and so many names, of course, in Tonga are from the Bible, because when Christianity was uh, brought to Tonga, people chose names from the Bible for them, for their kids, or some, for themselves when they baptized, uh, which is not an uncommon practice. And so these names now becoming uh, part of the family onomastic stock can be passed down. And you're usually named after someone's full name, because why not? So maybe your first name is Christian, like my friend Davita, that's David. So Davita, sure, David, middle name Mamevai from the family, mm -hmm. but the Davita Mamevai is also someone from the family. Did that make any sense? Yes. Very interesting. And very normal for me. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that if I wanted, should I have a child, which is not happening, and I wanted to name this child Mamevai, that, I mean, I'm French. I don't have to follow Tongan rules, right? I don't have to ask my partner's sister to name my child. So mm -hmm. I can choose my own child's name. That's how it works around here. Uh, and I wanted to name this child Mamevai, I would ask the Mamevai I know and his auntie if I could use his name. Mm -hmm. And if they agree, I would use it because the name belongs to their family. But they may agree someone outside of the family, but I'm quite inside of that family very much, actually, uh, to use it. And I haven't asked, but I'm pretty sure that would be fine because of my relationship with them. Yes. yes. So Tonga, the most like commoners, most people, everyone actually, also uses the system to this day of onomastic stock. Hmm. That's a concept I am so used to because I work with it. And when I see, I was a teacher, when I saw some of my students' names, especially the full names, I could very easily guess who they were family with and how I could threaten them to be well-behaved in class because <laughs> I would go to, to their uncle. Yeah. I traumatized a few children like that because I'm a foreigner. They saw this Parangi and they were like, obviously she doesn't know my uncles. And then mm -hmm. I looked at their name and I was like, hello. So I see your name after such and such. And they're like, oh, fuck, end of the world. Hell's gates were opening. Yeah. And... Well, they were great kids, so I didn't have a problem, but it was funny to really scare them like that. Uh, I was not your average foreigner. <laughs> anyway. Huh. I'm really happy I managed to talk about Tonga in a yes. way that uh, is away from stereotypes, mm -hmm. which is not how I lived in Tonga, I was definitely away from stereotypes. So, please, do you have anything to say about that? Does that remind you of anything in Sweden or anywhere? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, it's similar that you pass down names within families. I remember when I was researching this, um, they mentioned that in one village in Dalarna, I think it was, which is a 
region of Sweden, uh, there only existed like 13 names because they were all passing down wow. names within the families. Uh, so even if it's not the same strict system that you can't name someone, mm-hmm. it's still like you pass down names within the families. And we obviously see that in Aeswaf in too with like Brandon and Robert and John and everyone. Uh, even if in Aeswaf it could also be like, like Rob is obviously named by, after Robert, which is yes. a, who is not family, but he's like, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically family. He's like family, definitely. Yeah. And same with John yeah. being named after John Aaron. It's like not technically family, but kind of family. And then we have mm-hmm. like Leanna Mormont, who's who, who's named after not family, but someone they, they liked, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. As I mean, I don't know if in SWF you need to ask for permission to name someone yeah. after you or your grandparent or something. But uh, to me, that looks exactly the same, yes. Yeah. Should we move All on right. to last names? Oh, yes, please. Because we've only touched on first names so far. Well, yes. I've been very excited with first names. So mm. I cannot shout onomastic stock mm. on last names because, as we know, it's not how it works yeah i'm very sad so i'm gonna be sad and let you talk while i cry a little bit okay well (laughs) when it comes to swedish last names i thought i'd start with patronyms which are very common so for those who doesn't know who don't know patronyms means name that names that refers to one's father so for instance the son of johan would be called johan's son and the daughter of Johan would be called Johan's daughter in Swedish. And we see the same thing in Norway, Denmark, and Iceland. And those names were very common during the Middle Ages and are still in use today, but in a different way, which I'll get back to. So I thought about, do we see that kind of thing in Westeros? And one thing that came to mind was the mountain clans of the moon. And they mm-hmm. seem to use this kind of system when referring to people. So for instance, we meet... Con, son of Korat, and Shella, son of Sheik. Sheik? Sheik? Mm. And when they meet Tyrion, they start referring to him as Tyrion, son of Tywin. Uh, and I thought, well, the clans are kind of traditional first men. They haven't mixed much with Andal culture, so maybe that was the first main thing. And maybe, but we don't really see that in other places. Uh, for instance, we don't see it with the free folk. Uh, which one would imagine they might have the same Mm. tradition. And maybe they do, but maybe it's just not shown to us. But what the the free folk do have sort of last names, um, or at least several names. Uh, And so those names usually refer to deeds or traits, like Harma Dogshead, Raymond Redbeard, Tormund Giantsbane, or Morna White Mask, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and nicknames. Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, how you get. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty similar to how Scan- another Scandinavian naming practice during the Viking and Middle Ages, uh, where people often got these types of descriptive names to differentiate them from other people with the same first name. Uh, so uh, you might be shocked here, but I'm going to bring up a Danish example. I am 
gonna come out of my morning of not being able yes. to say onomastic stock and relish in the sound of your voice. I'm gonna say it in a Swedish accent though, uh, because <laughs> I'm not sure how you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so there, there was a Danish king called Harald Blåtand, um, and uh, he's an example of this. So Blåtand means blue tooth, meaning he probably had a blue tooth or a black tooth or like some sort of thing with his tooth. Um, <laughs> so he was Harald Blåtand, and yes. This is where the brand Bluetooth comes from. Uh, though the inventors the are Swedish. King. Uh, but yeah. Sorry. So yeah, that, that was the thing. People would be called some sort of descriptor of who, what it looked like or some deed they had done. Yeah, that's also what happened in France. And then those yeah. names became hereditary and we get mm. surnames yeah. around the 12th century. Yeah. We were, we were a bit later uh, with that, but if you look at contemporary Swedish last names, besides the patronyms, it's very common for the last names to be descriptive, like Björklund, which means birch grove, or Forsberg, which means rapids mountain, um, and that's kind of similar to a lot of first name, first men names in Eswaf, like Blackwood or Strong. Um, and Gurm has said that a lot of first men names are short and descriptive like that, uh, which yeah. is interesting to me because it feels kind of northern. Yeah. Again, he studied Scandinavian history, so I'm sure it's it's yeah. totally a reference. Yeah. And the, it's kind of interesting, though, how those uh, descriptive last names like came into being. So... Uh, the noble families were the first ones to have a proper last names that were inherited. And uh, the oldest noble last names we know of are from the 14th century. And they were often kind of short, like Puke or Trolle, uh, and not really descriptive in that way. But uh, by the 16th century, it had become fashionable about, amongst nobles to use composite names. Uh, like the ones I described. So you can, you, you and it was kind of often fan, kind of fancy names like Yulenhuana, meaning golden star, or Drakenberg, dragon mountain. I had to include that example when Obviously. I saw it in the text. Like, call dragon mountain. That's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, so unfortunately, I don't think they had any actual dragons. Oh, boring. But, you know, yeah. But what's also interesting that is that before the 16th century, you wouldn't really use someone's noble house as a last name. Uh, so you could be from the house Yulenshana, but you wouldn't be called <laughs> Yulenshana. So like if if you had someone from the house Yulenshana who was called Begitta, and her father was Jöran, she would be called Begitta Jöran's daughter of mm -hmm. house Yulenshana. Uh, but a lot of times she'd just be called Begitta Jöran's mm -hmm. daughter. But then by the end of the 16th century, this shifted uh, to nobles using their houses as last names. Uh, so then she would be Birgitta Yulanshana. Um, and this was properly cemented by the start of the 17th century when a law made it so people couldn't use the last names of the noble families if they didn't belong to those families. And also it required all noble families to have a last name, at least if you wanted a seat in Riddarhuset, which is called a sort of the equivalent of the House of Lords 
in England. So if you were a proper noble family, you had to have a last name and no one else could use the fact that other people tried or did use noble last names is perfectly mind-blowing to this little French person here. Love it. I mean, I'm not sure if they did. The text didn't say if they did, but by the, after that, they absolutely couldn't okay. do it. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but shortly after this, the bourgeoisie started to feel left out, and they were like, we also want fancy names. And just a remember when, reminder, when I say bourgeoisie, in this time, in the Swedish context, that means artisans and merchants. Uh, and obviously they couldn't take the nobles' names, but they wanted ones that sounded kind of similar. So they also did that noun plus noun thing. So, uh, and of, often the nouns related to nature. So like um, you could have, have Lindqvist, which means linden twig, or Granberg, pine mountain. Uh, and sometimes part of the name related to their village of origin. So like if someone was from a village called Granviken, the Pine Bay, they might take the Gran part of that and construct the name Granberg. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's yeah. really similar to France. Uh, very quickly, how our nobles eventually got their name, not very dissimilar from what you said. There's the land name and the surname that are two different things. Even to this day, that's why nobles have super weird names. I mean, they have weird names anyway, because usually they're of Germanic origin and but kind of like franchised, mm. because remember, we couldn't pronounce that. And uh, and then yes. their land name is off, like from somewhere. And obviously, if you're a um, commoner, you cannot do that. Uh, so French last names were like nicknames, like you were talking about before, you know, like mm -hmm. Bluetooth. We, we don't have any Bluetooth that I know of, but like um, the tall, the brown, uh, short, whatever. Mm -hmm. You can also get a name from the same as you were just talking about where you come from. So you're from somewhere near the bridge, from the near the bridge, Dupont, a super common name. Um, mm -hmm. You're from somewhere near uh, fields, Deschamps, amazing. Uh, from your occupation, are you a weaver? Tisserand? Are you a, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking. I, I know one, so I know, I, I'm not going to tell our dear listeners my last names, but one of my last names is yeah. German because mm -hmm. my great, great, great grandfather was from Germany. And that name means, what is it called in English? person who builds walls like bricklayer oh, yeah, yeah. or like yeah, builder oh, I thought that was something person else. who builds walls there's a name for mason. it in, mason yeah, it's a French is word, the name yeah. in english yeah, yeah mason like uh in french i was thinking meunier that's the miller super common name it's common mm. uh, occupation to i mean come fancy occupation believe me because you had a lot of power because you were the guy who could ground uh, grains uh, another yes. type of last name is so where you come from, your nickname, your occupation, or then it's very wide, and it could be just a Bible name, because why not? <sighs> but we don't yes. really have patronyms in the Swedish uh, sense or Nordic sense. We don't have mm -hmm. someone's son or someone's daughter. And I know the name Fitzpatrick exists, 
but it's in Brittany, where um, they're not like mm. us. Anyway, also Patrick, have yes. you noticed that was a French? No, obviously Celtic name. I'm gonna get back to our Breton friends a bit later, but I also wanted to say when French people started to have a last name, and that mm -hmm. is around the 11th, uh, 1100s, 1200s, when what were nicknames became hereditary names. But they were mostly hereditary to sons, right? So that was marking them for the inheritance. But in the approximately 15th century, we see that Parisian women get to have their father's last name. And obviously we're talking bourgeois here because they're in Paris, therefore they're in the Bourg, mm. therefore they are not peasants. But they're also not necessarily anything fancy. As you said before, they're probably merchants or whatever. So the fact that they now have their father's last name when they're born means that, yeah, they will, they will inherit just like their brothers. So there's this mm -hmm. um, consciousness of patrilineage that is rising among the bourgeoisie, and that is completely new. That is not how it worked before, although uh, you could have an inheritance, but it was not necessarily so clear and evident. Maybe you had to write it down in your will or get someone to write it for you. Now it's, oh, sure, this daughter of mine, she has my last name, therefore she's getting stuff from me after I die. Awesome. That's all I had to say about it. Do you want to learn about clergy last names? Yes, please. This is fascinating from someone who comes from a mostly Catholic country where clergy is not supposed mm -hmm. to reproduce. No. So, uh, something I found fascinating when I was research researching was that priests, clergy, but also like learned men, so people who uh, studied at university but didn't mm -hmm. become clergy. Uh, so, I don't know what that would be at that point, but whatever yeah people who studied at the oh, universities masters so these yeah masters um so these people uh also started to come up with their own last names but because they didn't want to be left out so that this was at like around the same time like the 17th century and all of these uh people started to take new last names when they started their studies at universities mm -hmm. and often they would construct a name uh, where they added a Latin or Greek suffix at the end, so like us or under. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, if someone was from the village Floda, they may might take the name name Floderus, or if they were from Schellhult, they might take the name Schellander. Okay. Yes. Uh, and some people also base their names on their father's names, like Svenonius being derived from Sven. Amazing. Uh, and also, speaking of Svenonius, uh, I just have, I'm obliged to say, fuck Irene Svenonius. Uh, she's a politician, uh, a conservative politician from Stockholm, and she absolutely fucked up the healthcare system in Stockholm by yeah. defunding it. So, fuck Irene Svenonius. So that's a last name that's uh, survived until this day. Hmm. Uh, anyway, like I said, this whole practice of doing this started during the middle of the 17th century. Uh, and during the 18th century, the <laughs> us names 
um, started were perceived as old-fashioned and were shortened. Uh, so, for instance, Forenius became Forsen, uh, which and this was probably influenced by the French too, because at this time everyone was like, "Oh, the French are so cool. Um, we want to sound French." Okay. Uh, so it also become common to use suffixes like l, n, and in. Very interesting, considering these endings in French are l, feminine, well, probably feminine, not necessarily. Yeah. N could be. Anything. I'm not even sure what they're thinking of right now. And in, definitely feminine and uh, diminutive. Really cool. Love it. A 10 out yeah. of 10, Sweden. Definitely understanding the culture you're influenced <laughs> by. Love it. Um, but uh, anyway, sorry, I have to roll back a little bit here. So, yeah. Remember, I'm, I'm I mean, I am Catholic. I, I, my church going is not what it should probably be for me to go to heaven and whatnot. But um, I'm discovering with you, or pretending to discover with you, Protestant ways. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing with this having a last name that marks you as a clergy person sounds very mafia-like. So um, on the one <laughs> hand, yeah, why not? On the other hand, oh yeah, true, they do have kids. I have to remember that. And why wouldn't these clergy people just go with their relatives' names who probably have a last name of their own? Like, I, I don't really understand why they want to be so different. And maybe it's really a mafia. I mean, either they didn't have a fancy ah. last name or they, like, they were just, uh, maybe they were peasants who just had uh, patronym names um, or they were like, yeah, we want to change it because now we're being super fancy and going to university. I'm not sure if people from the nobility changed their last names, uh, but at least people who weren't from the nobility made these names when they went to university. Okay. Well, that's um, definitely very interesting. And my brain is kind of broken, yeah. but yeah. And then obviously like, yeah, and obviously because they were Protestant, uh, the priests mm. could have kids and they would inherit the name. And some of them might have chosen to also join the clergy afterwards, but even if they didn't, they still kept this name, uh, which is how we ended up with a yeah. corrupt politician called Sven Yeah, clearly. Um, interesting. Like, okay, I have to wrap my head around this concept each time I have to wrap around Protestants mm -hmm. being a thing, but um, so interesting that you would want to be set apart and to even yeah. to this day, like um, this Fenionius person, she probably doesn't think of it every day, but her name marks her as the descendant of a clergyman in the 15th century or mm. approximately. And it really yeah. marks where your family come from, you know, status wise. I mean, in France, we are big on status. I don't know if that's as true in Sweden, even if 500 years ago. But um, yeah, I, th I think that's really interesting. Very, very. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting when you compare it to ASWAV, because their people lose their last names if they join uh, the clergy or be become a maester. So even if you're like born a Lannister, 
you drop the Lannister last name when you bec- become a maester or Same something. Same as in the Catholic clergy. Yeah, because you're not supposed to reproduce. You're supposed to stay celibate and also not be loyal to your original family. And serve God so of we the just gods. Have, yeah. Yeah. So we just have like Maester Crescent or Septa Junella or whatever. And then b- when you become High Septon, you lose your first name too, which is super That's interesting. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, it's not so uh, different, kind of. Because the Pope, he changes his name. Yeah, I mean, that's true. A lot of um, mm. nuns and I suppose monks too change depending on their order. They because there are so many yeah, sub branches of Catholicism, but like in some orders, they definitely change their name. Um, but yeah, the Pope changes his name. He like the current Pope Francis. I can't currently remember his actual name, but that's definitely not Francis. Yeah. Again, yeah. I'm a very good Catholic. And they also do the, like, gymnastic yes. stock thingy, right? And he chose Francis. He's the first pope to be named Francis, but he chose it um, after a very important saint. And he also chose it to represent these saints' mm. failures, other values, which are, like, poverty and looking after mm. the poor people, as opposed to the former pope, Benedictus, who was very definitely not like that. So... Yeah. Uh, Yes, onomastic stock, definitely a thing among popes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, coming back to history, you said that an interesting thing that I also thought about is that you can tell someone's status by their last name. And that becomes very clear when you look at Swedish history. Like the nobles had those fancy names like Yulonjana or Drakenbergens, etc. And then the bourgeoisie had the like Granberg or Forsberg or something. And then uh, the learned people or the clergy had the mm-hmm. Latin sounding names. And then the peasants just kept on going with patronyms mm-hmm. uh, and they weren't inherited. So like if you were, if you were like Johan Göransson would have kids named Carl Johansson, etc. So they weren't inherited. Like, yeah. And and so you you could like tell someone's class status by their name, and that's kind of similar to Ace, where, where only the nobility get proper last names. The bastards of noble families get last names too, like Sun, Sa- Snow, uh, Sand, etc. But that's also distinctive, so you can tell who's mm-hmm, a bastard. Mm-hmm. But then the small folk, they only get one name; they yeah. only get the first name, like the French Merovingian kings. <laughs> I think yeah. that's actually really yeah. interesting. You think about it from that angle, except, I mean, they are bait and will, which is not onomastic stock from the fancy royal family, but yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's also interesting when someone who's from, who's a small folk from birth get knighted, because then you can have to have a last name, but then you, you, then they usually get a descriptor or reference to the origin. So like Sir Duncan the Tall or Sir Anne Arlen or Penetry. Yeah. That's... Or Davos, who just does Seaworth, who which hints at what he's good at being at sea. Yeah. I mean, those are great names. And again, like back to what we were saying earlier, this is how modern names of, like, say, France became a thing. Uh, descriptors, yeah. nicknames, whatever, right? Uh, oh, but also, I should quickly 
point out that in France, we have very many languages in the country, and I'm not even talking about immigrant um, languages, and dialects, and yeah. patois, and so most names are absolutely unintelligible. <laughs> Although, they, like my name, for instance, it looks and sounds incredibly French. Now, don't ask me what it means, because I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's something that would be a bit too obvious to actually be it especially because it would require an apostrophe to be correct. Mm. No idea. No idea. But originally, my ancestor knew what his name meant and passed it on to his son, who passed it on to his son, etc. Until yeah. me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes. So going back to Swedish history, last names started being cemented and in, inherited from father to children and wives taking the last name of their husbands in all social classes at the end of the 19th century. This is also why we have so few daughter last names left, uh, because wives would take their husband's last name and that name would be passed down to the children. Uh, it should be noted that that is very different in Icelandic though. Um, there in on Iceland you still have son and daughter. Uh, names going on and not being passed down but being different depending on who your father was yeah uh, and in recent year pe years people in iceland ha also have the option of having a gender neutral last name by having the suffix be bur which means that's correct so i didn't know it but um yeah so in iceland When you look at the phone book, if you still have a phone book, you know, how 20th century of you, mm -hmm. um, you must look at people not from their last name, obviously, because it's inherited. But you look at their, you look up their first name. So if you're looking for the singer Björk, for instance, whose patronym I can't even remember, someone's daughter, well, you look at Björk. Mm -hmm. And then if you're not an idiot like me and you remember her father's name, you find her among all the others. And I just want to point out very important fact that in Iceland, that was part of Denmark uh, until they yes. became independent in 1944, uh, they have also Danish last names. Some families have Danish last names and usually that would be fancy names like noble Danish names, so not the mm -hmm, Sen, yeah. uh, that's similar to the Sun in Sweden or Iceland. So mm. they to have a few family names, but they still use the patronym system anyway, no matter what. Yes. Very important. That is fun. And also, speaking of differences, I should mention that inherited last names only becoming a thing for the whole Swedish population in the 19th century is a bit of a simplification, because there are some indications that some Sami people used last names much, mm -hmm. much earlier. Uh, at least the Northern Sami might have used it before the Middle Ages oh, even. Wow. And that has to do with the fact that Eastern Finnish people had last name a last name system much earlier than the other Nordic countries. And they were influenced wow. by that. Okay, that's super interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yes. So uh, thus far, I've talked about names in Sweden, uh, but I most, mostly focused on Swedish names in Sweden. Uh, but of course, Swedish is not the only language spoken in Sweden. So I wanted to take a moment to talk about naming traditions in two of Sweden's officially recognized ethnic minorities, the Sami and the Tornadalians. And 
For those who haven't heard me talk about this before or who have forgotten, here's a brief history lesson before we get going. So, the Sami are the indigenous people of northern Norway, Sweden, Finland and Russia. Their own name for their land is Sápmi. And they arrived in this land pretty much as soon as the uh, ice of the last ice age melted. And the oldest archaeological evidence is from around 7800 BCE. So like Mm -hmm. a long time ago. Yes. And several thousand years later, around 2000 years ago from our current time, a people migrated into what is now Sweden from the east. And these people settled around the Torne and Kalix rivers and are usually called Tornedalians today. And they spoke a proto version of Finnish uh, in contrast to the various Sami languages that the Sami people spoke and still speak. And while there was definitely some conflict between these people when the Tornedalians migrated, uh, there was also intermingling and they got along mm-hmm. reasonably well. Like it was, like the Tornadalians did take over some land and resources, but it wasn't. They didn't colonize the land or conquer it. It was more like the way people have always migrated in human history. Mm-hmm. And the land where the Tornadalians would settle is today sometimes referred to as Myanmar, which means our land. And I wouldn't say it's like a claim over the land, like claim of ownership. It's more like this is where we have lived. Uh, and I say we because I'm Tornadalian on my dad's side of the family. So it's the land where yeah. we have lived, uh, which is also why I hope my pronunciation of uh, the different names here isn't too atrocious. Uh, I don't really speak the language, but I slightly speak the language. Um Anyway, as I've mentioned in previous podcast episodes, eventually the Swedish crown would start colonizing Sápmi and Myanmar. And this has led to various horrors, uh, as is common with colonization. And uh, for those who want to learn more about this whole thing, I wrote an essay a while back about uh, uh, northern colonization in the context of ASWAF, where I go even more into this whole history. But one consequence of the colonization was the oppression of both the Sami and Tornadalian cultures in various ways, including with the language, which is why I don't properly speak it. And it also led to more conflict between Tornadalians and Sami because they now had to compete more for limited resources. And there has definitely been and continue to be problems with Tornadalians being racist toward the Sami which is in some ways comparable to other countries where marginalized ethnic groups have both suffered from discrimination, but one is still being racist towards the other. Mm -mm -mm. Um, Yeah. But to get back to the language aspect, um, I should explain one more thing about the language that Tornadalians speak. In Swedish, it's often referred to as Tornadalsfinska, meaning Torne Valley Finnish. Uh, but we call it Mienkeli, meaning our language. And as I mentioned above, the first Tornadalians spoke a version of Finnish and they would continue to do that throughout history. They had their own Finnish uh, dialect, essentially. And as I mentioned previously on another podcast, for a long time, Finland was part of the Swedish kingdoms, uh, but the people of Finland spoke Finnish, not Swedish, uh, except for administrators and rich people who spoke Mm -hmm. Swedish. 
uh, but most people spoke Finnish. And for those who are not aware, Finnish is very different from Swedish. It's like if an English-speaking person were, would try to understand mm-hmm. Estonian, uh, it's, it's the same difference, basically. Anyway, in the in 1809, Sweden lost Finland to Russia after a war, and a border would was then needed to be drawn between Finland and Sweden. And when this border was drawn, cultural and linguistic borders weren't taken into account because when are they ever? And the border was just drawn along the Tuona River because that was convenient, which meant that a lot of people who spoke Finnish ended up on the Swedish side of the border, and a lot of communities mm. were split in two. And the consequence for the language is that the dialect of Finnish that was spoken on the Swedish side of the border started to diverge even more from the proper Finnish until it became its own language, Mienkeli. Mm. Um, and uh, this whole thing with the borders is why we on this podcast like to say borders are fake. Borders are fake. Yeah. And well, uh, Mienkeli, for a long time, this language uh, had a very low sta- status in society. And school kids were forbidden from speaking it. Uh, both my grandparents and my dad experienced this, that when they went to start school, they were forbidden from speaking Miankali, even if that was the only language they knew when yeah. they started school. They were still supposed to just speak Swedish, uh, which is also why uh, a consequence of this devaluing of the language is why I don't yeah. speak it properly. But going back to names... Uh, in Miama, there are a lot of ways to, of referring to someone, uh, a lot of names and things to call them, uh, that aren't their official legal name. And my guess is that part of the reason for this is that Miankeli didn't exist as a written language for a long time. So the oral tradition was more important in how you refer mm-hmm. to people. Um, and also the written records that did exist would be in Swedish, which people didn't speak. Uh, so besides the official names, you'd have other ways of identifying people. For instance, uh, there's the practice of referring to people as <laughs> Lyset or <laughs> Linen. And this can refer to the family you belong to or the place you're from, for instance, the village you're from. So for instance, according to my great uncle Vilna, uh, you can't trust Kainasjärvi Lyset uh, because people from the village Kainasjärvi Yeah, they can't be trusted. And that was because once a dude called the cops on him, uh, and that dude was Kainasjärvilainen. I mean, he's right, obviously. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's how it works with places. Um, and for in- with families, for instance, if you have a family with a last name Hapasari, uh, that they can be referred to as Hapasari Laiset. And a specific person from that family is Hapasari Lainen. But... Uh, this can also be like a mix of family and place. Uh, like a family can be referred to by the house they're from. For instance, I know of Lassie Lyset, who owns the Lassie farm. And they're always referred to as Lassie Lyset, even if their last name is technically Augustson. Sure. Because they, they own Lassie, the Lassie house. So they're Lassie Lyset. Um And historically, there's also some instances of people eventually using Linen names as their official last name. So, for instance, um, I found when I was researching the example of someone being called Roja Linen, which means person from northern Norway. Okay. And eventually that became an inherited last name. 
Another fun tradition is that traditionally people would also just adopt the last name of the house they moved to. So for instance, if Matti Aho moved to the Tavola farm, he would be called Matti Tavola. Uh, and this could happen both if he bought or took over the house, or if he married the daughter of the house mm. and moved in there. So then he would take her name. Um, and yeah, it, it's interesting how the patriarchal order seems less firm here. It's it's more important where you're from. Yeah. And um this practice of referring to people by their house or farm sort of reminds me of how people in Aswaf are sometimes referred to by the place they're from if they don't have a firm, formal last name, like Foros of Muir or how Bron becomes Sir Bron of the Blackwater when mm-hmm. he's knighted. Yeah. Uh, and I also thought it was interesting when you looked at what what the houses or farms were named and how they, that... how. Yeah, what what those names came from. And that was a bit of a mix. Sometimes the name of the farm might refer to someone who had lived there or currently lived there, like Hekele, which means uh, settlement of Heki. Uh, or it could is also very common with a name that refers to some natural phenomena close by, like Hapasari, which means Aspen Island, or Lakala. Uh, which means the place with the cloudberries, which is personally a place where I would like to live because cloudberries are great. I've never had cloudberries in my life, but they sound amazing. I mean, they're they're related to raspberries and blackberries, but like there's that kind of berry, but they're like sweeter and Hmm. they're orange. They're very nice. Yeah. And they're, unfortunately, they tend to grow on like... Ah. and such <laughs> so it's not super fun to pick them but they're very tasty <laughs> oh, wow. uh, so thinking of that uh, Lakala might not be a good place to live because there would also be a lot of mosquitoes <laughs> there um, yeah I think that's bad I might not want to live at Lakala uh, but another version of how you would name a uh, a farm and as such the people who live there because they are referred to it by the place they live in uh, would be to call the house in relation to other places like Kesketalo, which means the ha- the house that's in the middle of the village or Ilitalo, which means the house in the village that's the furthest up along mm-hmm. the river of course and we, yes. we talked about this before the episode uh, because you were like, that's a lot of words in a short thing. So yes. I asked my dad uh, because uh, I read this in an article and I was also like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of words. So Ilitalo, uh, if you're being super strict, it means the upper house, but you can infer the other parts like upper will always be in relation to the river or the lake because people lived along rivers or lakes. So upper is in relation yeah. to the river. And it will be, the upper house will be, the house will be in relationship to the other houses yeah. in the village. Um, and it's often that you had like a big, like a big house like with a lot of land and then you split the land to, so different si- siblings yeah. could inherit it. So Ilitalo will often refer to the upper house in relationship to the group of houses that used to be mm. one thing. Um, but yeah, 
Finnish does like shortening things a lot, but you can infer yes. things from it. Well, that makes very good sense. When you know the culture of the language you're speaking, usually yeah. the culture tells you everything you need to know about what is being said. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but these kind of naming conventions of uh, how how places are names is is a, is similar to Aswaf to be honest. Like we have Carhold, which is named after someone named Carlon. Completely. And then like Gulltown, uh, you can imagine that a play a town by the sea has a lot yes, of seagulls, and I want to live there, uh, which are rats of the sky. No, I like them. I like rats too. I know that you like. You like pigeons too. We've discussed this. You like pigeons. I love pigeons. Yes. And I don't care if that marks me as an absolute weirdo. I will keep on loving my pigeons until the day I die. Probably killed by a bus. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, generally in Myanmar, someone's connection to land or family is very important when establishing who they are and naming them. And it's still common today to refer to someone as like Oskarin Margit which means Oscar's Margit, or Stenin Villo, which is Sten's Villo, to clarify kinship. Uh, usually that's used to refer to someone as someone's child. Uh, like if you say Oscar in Margit, Margit would be the child of Oscar. Uh, but it can also refer to someone's grandchild or even spouse. It's more like saying that someone is kin of someone else. Uh, so if you're having an, a conversation and talking about Margit, someone might ask, which Margit are you referring to? And you'd be like, Oscar in Margit. And I guess this is kind of a thing elsewhere too, but to me it feels much more common to phrase it like that in Myanmar than in southern Sweden. Uh, like you don't really say it in that uh -huh. way. Um And of course, this is also similar to what I mentioned before with the clans of the moon in Aeswaf saying that someone is son of <laughs> etc. Yes, clearly. Um, I've seen that in the French countryside where my grandparents moved to from Paris, um, 250 kilometers west. And so I grew up not where I lived, but I, like we often visited my grandparents. So I'm not surprised by that, but true, like we don't do that near Paris. Because I think the thing is, there's way too many people to refer to someone as someone from the community. Yeah. Because there's way too many people mm -hmm. and we are not even making community. I I've lived in communities-oriented uh, yeah. um, cultures and clearly this is not it here in France. At least not yeah. in the big town. So I think that's the biggest element yeah. here of cultural difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's probably smaller communities. It's easier to be like, oh, yes, that's the daughter of that person. So, yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention about names in Myanmar is that both historically and today, it's common that someone's legal name is the Swedish version of the name, and but they're called the Miankeli version of it. It's especially like when you're speaking orally about them. So, for instance, someone's legal name might be Lash, but they're called Lassi. Or Sten, Steni, and Margit, Markit. I'm trying to yes. extra pronounce this, but 
or like my brit is my pritin oh, that's very cute uh so i want to say something that is absolutely not what i wrote why did i do that anyway um i mentioned earlier that uh, we had this little thing with French calendars that eventually became one calendar, the one we all share. Yes. And also I mentioned separately that we have in this country, and I'm not even talking about our colonies, former colonies, or whatever. I'm just talking about the chunk yeah. of Europe that we call France today and have called France for very many centuries, in some parts, millennia. And... Uh, there are different languages. It's not just dialects, it's, I'm talking different languages altogether. So for instance, in Brittany, they speak Breton or spoke. Some people still speak it. Excellent. The 19th century mm -hmm. has not ruined everything. Congratulations. It tried very hard, <laughs> uh, but failed. So uh, Brittany, as the name might suggest, relates to the Britons of what we call now Great Britain. And that's because people came uh, to what was then not France yet from the British Isles and they brought their own Celtic language, different from the Celtic language that was spoken in France and was not being spoken anymore, Gaulish. Um, so yes, Breton names and Breton as a language does not relate to Gaulish, but more like to the language Cornic in um, Cornwalls and to Welsh. Now that this has been cleared, yes, it's, it's extremely completely different from French, a Romance language. And as you can guess, names are also very different. There are some Breton saints. Mm. So technically you could be called Malo. Th that was a saint, it's totally legit. Except it's not on the calendar, problem. Uh, and mm. I'm sure there's at least one Breton saint somewhere on the calendar, but not that one. Also, Gwenael, Yael, uh, and all those very Breton names. And for instance, I know someone who on his identity card, so passport, is called François, which is French for Francis. But his mm -hmm. name that everyone calls him is Franche, which is Breton mm -hmm. for Francis. So official name in French has to be yeah. no choice or had to be because the law changed in the 1970s. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, some officials in, at the registrars in every city were not as um, anal about this as others were. So there were people named mm -hmm. Gwenael in Brittany before the 1970s, but there were few. Now, being named Gwenael, I mean, I went to school with a Gwenael. I went to school with a Gael boy and a girl girl like now that's become normal but um my parents generation no because they were born at the, in the late 70s uh, 50s sorry and so everyone had to have a french name do you think that's going to be a problem for immigrants yeah. yes congratulations you guessed right but it's very convenient that these early immigrants were also christian like they came from spain from italy like my grandmother's parents Pick a French name that's like, pick a saint, whatever, same, same, different, but kind of the same. Mm -hmm. Now we have a problem when uh, the immigrants come from, say, North Africa, a part of the world that we colonized for quite some time. And they don't really want to be named after saints because there are Christians there, but not very many. There are Jews there, easier, but Muslims, 
picking up for like Christian saint names, that's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, good news, there are uh, Arabic names that are from the Bible, like said Jibril, that's Gabriel or Gabriel, and a few others like that. Like we're talking Old Testament here, still not saints. So mm-hmm. uh, that's also why the yeah. law had to change in the 1970s when immigrants started having, I mean, immigrants who were not Christian started to really be many having mm-hmm. babies here in France that yeah. wouldn't be named. That would be terrible to name them uh, according to the old French system. So what my grandmother had to go through as a baby who couldn't care less about that because she was a baby, uh, that wouldn't have worked with a little Algerian child, right? So things did change, yeah, which is good. Attitudes, hmm, that's another story. But the law has changed. Yeah. I mean, we do see some examples of this, this like changing between cultures in Aceworth too, like Danny play, plans on naming her Charlotte Rago, which is like the Dothraki version of Rhaegar. But it's, I, like you said, there's in real life a lot of examples of a dominant culture not understanding or recognizing names used by a minority group. And I'm going to give you another example. Yay! So, moving on to Sapmi and Sami names. After the colonization of Sapmi and the forced conversion of the Sami to Christianity, yay. Uh, Sami people were forbidden from using their own names because these names were seen as too heathen. Of course. So they had to use good Christian names. So for instance, someone named Jova became Jon, which is the Swedish version of Jona from the Bible. And Maria became Maria. So these names were the ones registered in so-called church books, which was the official way to register the Swedish population at the time. Uh, And as the name implies, the church was the one doing the registering. So like every church in every village would keep a register of the people there. And um, what's similar to what you described in Brittany, however, is that Sami people often still use their own names in their own community. Um, and these were usually family names that honored ancestors. But officially, people were called something else. And this would lead to confusion uh, often. <laughs> For instance, later when the Sami kids were allowed to start school and were suddenly referred to by names that they had never heard before. Mm. And another confusing thing is that the Swedish priests would often use one Swedish name for several different Sami names. Uh, so, for instance, Biete, Biera, Becca, or Bialvi would all become Per. Oh. So, it could seem that several people in the same family were all named Per, but in reality, they had different names. And, like I mentioned, we we can see a lot of similarities in Aceworth with people not understanding the names of different ethnicities. Uh, one that came to mind is Maggie the Frog, whose name is probably comes from her being yeah. a Magi. But I also can't help think of how Bran and his companions make up names for the children of the forest that they meet because they can't understand their actual names. Uh, yeah. And of course, the term children of the forest is also inaccurate because their own name for their people is more like those who sing the song of yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's exonym versus endonym. 
So the exonym, the name we give people, exactly. like outsiders give someone, whereas the endonym is the name you give yourself as a people. Yeah, and that's um, that also exists with the Sami. And um, fun fact for people who want to... Um, if you have ever heard of where Santa lives in Finland, uh, that's the racist word for Satmi. Um, that's still uh, used in both Sweden and, and in Finland. France. I mean, we Satmi yeah. is not in France, but we use that other word. Though I've seen Satmi already once or twice in French, with, without the accent, but yeah, getting somewhere. Mm. Yeah, there's different uh, ways of spelling Sapmi in the different languages. Uh, Sapmi is the mo- the one most commonly used in English uh, by Sami people, or when you use like cross culturally. But um, in, I know in Southern Sami, at least it's spelled differently. Uh, if I haven't been clear, Sami isn't just one language. There are a lot. I don't even know how many. Seven, um, I think. But I think like yeah. seven different within yeah. Sweden. So in Sweden, there's Southern Sami, Pite Sami, Ume Sami, Lule Sami, Northern Sami. So maybe five within the colonial mm-hmm. borders of Sweden, if I haven't forgotten. Yeah, I one. think that's right because I. And then I know there's different ones in Norway and Finland and Russia. Okay, yes. so I also mentioned Britain, Breton, as one monolith, which it is not. Uh, there is one yeah. standardized Breton that every native speaker of Breton <laughs> recognizes as not their language. Amazing. So there are four yeah. main dialects, and I'm using air quotes here. Uh, and one of them is actually pretty different, and that's why the spelling's a bit funky, because they want to integrate all four dialects even this weird one in the spelling. And I haven't touched on, say, like other languages we have in France and cultures, therefore, uh, like Basque, that this language is yeah. an isolate. Yeah? They don't have relatives. Very sad. They have amazing mountain and sea, though, so not sad for them. <laughs> in France, there are three different dialects of Basque. And on the Spanish side, there are four, which makes it seven dialects or languages for one standardized language we can imagine that not many native speakers recognize this standardized language as their mother tongue but here we are yeah uh, yeah i should probably mention i said that tonadalians and sami are two of the nationally recognized minorities um or technically we have recognized minority languages and that sort of goes then the people speaking them becomes minority people so the lang- the minority languages we have are sami miankeli finnish yiddish and romani yeah we don't have recognized and also yes we have sami when there are several sami languages yeah, right. but it's just sami so we have nothing officially recognized because france is like that thank you yes. 19th century um but in 1992 came the European Charter for Minority and Regional Languages mm-hmm. that France hasn't signed. Congratulations, France. Mm-hmm. 
because you see we would have to amend the constitution which we can do we do it all the freaking mm. time but article one says that the language of france is french the end i think we have amended our constitution it's super easy to amend to, the constitution to say that hey these are the minority people even think our constitution names sami as indigenous oh. people actually which is nice. not that that actually that's much for the situation or uh land and such but, you know. um so yes the i mean linguists have done the work for if we were to sign this uh charter and the charter is mm-hmm. to give uh, rights to use these languages and to be taught these languages so that costs money understand okay and that gives yes. rights to minority people and like regional languages are seen as minorities it's totally different so a regional mm. language is a language spoken in a certain place that belongs to a country whereas a minority language is spoken by a certain people and techni- typically we're talking um immigrants uh, could be old immigration you know that doesn't change the things are not relating to the land or uh, voyagers which if you're not European, you may have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't like to use um, words that were used by Nazis, but I think that's going to be my easiest way to make clear who I'm talking about. So for instance, Tzigans, Gypsies. These are terrible names. Yeah, that's why we have Romani as a minority language. So we don't because we don't have anything, but we certainly could. And... um, So there are seven different peoples among the voyagers recognized in France, except they're all classified under the voyager um, tag label. Um, But yeah, they also have their own languages and they've been in France for centuries, right? I mean, some of them at least. And yeah, they have no right to use their language, even that beautiful, or to have an interpreter, although that is part of... In law, you have to have an interpreter in France, an interpreter. So someone who translates while you speak. So that's not what I do for yeah. work. I translate in written. But um, so, yes, there you have a right to have an interpreter. However, no institution is given money to train these interprets in minority and regional languages. Yeah, we have... One thing that minority language status gives you the right to is that you have to be able to communicate with government authorities or state authorities in yeah. your language. And if you're a regional language, basically, I think you could describe it as, which is Sami, Mienkele, and Finnish, there are certain municipalities mm-hmm. if you belong, live there. Then you also have right to elderly care and child care. Yeah, in that's that language. totally the 1992 charter. And um, yeah. so France sucks as per usual, and uh, Sweden is doing some of some good work actually on this respect. Yeah, we definitely could do better. Yeah, exactly, but, I'm know. not saying it's doing great, but. <laughs> It's no. much better than here. Also, uh, our racist government recently decided that uh, you only get a right. No, what is it? Well, they want to limit right to interpreters ah, uh, in healthcare lovely. settings because they're racist. Okay, should we get back to the name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, 
Uh, and I wanted to say uh, a few things more about Sami naming conventions. And uh, and one interesting thing is that while it's common in southern Sweden to refer to people as the son or daughter of a person by saying, for instance, Karl Larsson, in Sápmi you'd say the parent first, similar to the way you do in Myanmar. So in Sámi languages, if Inga had a son called Mattu, he would be referred to as Inga Mattu. And sometimes you need to go several steps back for someone to know who you're talking about. So you'd end up saying like uh, Nilas Inga Mattu or even Mikkala Nilas Inga Mattu. Uh, because like the grandmother of this person, of this, yeah, yeah uh, you get sense. it. Uh, so yeah, another difference from Southern Sweden is that you don't just use the patronym here. You can also use the matronym, so referring to the mother. Um, and from what I gather, what what was used or is used is so, sort of depends on which parent was the w- most well known in the context you're speaking in. So if you were in your mo- mother's village, you would refer to her. Or, but if you were in the, your father's village, you would refer to him. Or like if you're in the village where you lived uh, and your mother was a very well known and respected woman there, you would refer to yourself as her daughter rather than your father's daughter and such. Yeah. And from what I gather, these names could be used instead of other last names or in parallel to them. And um, like I've been over several times, this is similar to the mountains, mountain clans of the moon in Aeswaf. Uh, but I think, I tried to look this up, I think they exclusively use patronyms. Uh I couldn't find an example of matronyms no. being used, um, which is interesting. And also in line with what I know of Sami culture, especially pre-colonization, uh, which was much less pa- patriarchal than Christian society. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. Uh, but uh, the last thing I wanted to mention about Sami and Miankeli last names is that um, well, uh, Swedish making the names more Swedish due to discrimination, which is something you can see both with Sami people and Tornadalians. And one such example is that for many people of both groups, uh, they suffer discrimination on the mm. labor market due to their last names. And this was especially true during the first half of the 20th century. And during that period many people changed their their names to Swedish sounding names so for instance you change Salmi to Salming or Hapasari to Aspolm um, and the former example is just making the name sound more Swedish which and the other one is a translation of the name to yeah. Swedish so Hapasari means Aspolm which is Aspen yeah. Island no Aspen Islet um and i have i actually have three great uncles who changed our me and kelly last name to a swedish one um and i'm not entirely entirely sure why they did that uh so ahead of this episode i asked my dad and he wasn't entirely sure either but he did agree that me and kelly didn't have a very strong status during the time where these uncles changed their last names which was during the 1950s and 60s. 
However, he wasn't sure how much that affected them on the labor market because they worked as construction workers and that was already a low status occupation. So it wasn't like they were trying to get a fancy office job. But he also said that uh, once they moved to the south of Sweden, which some of them did, it might have been different uh, because... Well, as he put it, you wouldn't brag of being from Yerjärvi in southern Sweden. Uh, and Yerjärvi is the village they're from. And to a Swedish person, the name of that village mm. would immediately signal that it's Finnish or Miangeli. Yeah, it's not very different in France. I mean, it was in the 19th yeah. and early 20th century. People from Brittany, the Basque Country, or a few other... like. I don't know, the Corsicans, I don't think they would do that. But um, people whose name was from France but not French would often mm. change it because the discrimination was extremely real when they came to Paris in particular. And, um, yeah, they were poor. They were, I mean, they were seen as poor, uneducated. And yeah. if you wanted to get away from this stereotype and have a better chance at life, you might as well translate your name into French. That happened a lot. Or make it sound... Frencher, which exactly yeah. what you just described. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also interesting because I obviously have uh, Mian Kelly last name and I have not mm. suffered this kind of discrimination. At most people have problems spelling it, but I'm not discriminated yeah. at uh, because of it, which is an example of how borders of whiteness change during history and how whiteness is a oh, construct, completely. a construct that has very material consequences, but still a construct. Um, my ancestors suffered very real discrimination, but mm. I don't. And I mean, the, to me, this is very similar to something that our American friends would be more familiar with, which is how Italians or Irish people have been treated in the US, uh, where they were discriminated at, uh, against at a certain point, but now yeah. they're not. And here, Finnish people and Hornadolians definitely suffer discrimination and racism up to the well into the 20th century. Um, but now we've been assimilated into Swedishness and the country has moved on to discriminating other ethnic minorities, such as people from Middle Eastern countries. Exactly the same in France. I mean, Middle Eastern, not so much, mostly Northern African, definitely mostly Northern African yeah. countries and African countries in general. And yeah, same, same sort of timeline. And um, so I've mentioned that Bretons and Basques and mostly them really, would back in the day, definitely not anymore, translate their name into French or uh, make it French sounding when coming to Paris or other big cities away from their region, which so doesn't happen anymore. And let's talk about French people going to colonize like for real in the settlement uh, sense of colonization to not just govern a land, which we did a lot, oh my God, but actually go people somewhere, say Canada. And a very easy way to tell a Canadian away from a French is to see how incredibly French sounding their last names are. And that's because not only did the French when they are arriving what is now Quebec and Canada in general, because there are French speakers all over Canada, um, not only did they, you know, were not English, which to this day they are very strong about, but they wanted to really be French. And mm. so they would translate 
their names into French and not just the Bretons and the Basques, but even people whose uh, mother tongue is a dialect of French or of Occitan in the south of France, they would make it more French. And so the names over there are so ridiculously French and their first names are also like they don't have the same common ones as we do. Like my name, Virginie, is super common in my age here in France. Over there, for them, it's a name for old ladies. I'm like, okay, <laughs> shut up. But um, so we have a very different interpretation of first names. And same in Belgium, like it's also very different over there. But last names, like give me someone's name and I'm probably going to tell you instantly if this person is Canadian or not because they wanted to be so French that they went way further than anything that's been done in France. That's very interesting. Mm. Or that to not be English. Yeah. And I mentioned how um, we're being racist towards people from the Middle East now instead of people from Finland. Um, And you can definitely see that with names too. Like one of my professors at university, Moa Bouchel, did a study when where she sent up sent out identical job applications with one of the names being Swedish sounding and one being either Middle Eastern sounding or North African mm. sounding, and you can never guess the result. Well, I think I can because the exact same study was done in France. But please tell me the Swedish result. Well, uh, in general, it was 1.8 times more likely to get a response on the application if you had a Swedish-sounding name, meaning that if a Swedish-named applicant had applied for ten, had to apply for 10 jobs before getting a reply, and someone with a foreign-sounding name had to apply 18 times. Yeah. Um, it did vary between occupations, though. For instance, assistant nurse was four times more likely to get a response if you were, had a Swedish-sounding name, while a high, high school teacher was 1.2. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the results are quite similar in France. Let's not fool yeah. ourselves. Um, and yeah. I was thinking, you know how in Esworth, the Rhoynish people, the Rhoynars, came from you know the Rhine with mm -hmm. Nymeria in them. And we don't really know any Rhoynish name in even Dorn. So it's like they yeah. cultured themselves to become Dornish. And I mean, the names that are definitely Dornish that we see in the books are Nymeria, Nymeros, that's uh, Doran's middle name. And I want to say that's yeah. it. So, so I think George included something. I don't know if it's really something he thought through but uh, we see this assimilation process definitely happen yeah. with the Rhoynish uh, marrying into the Dornish. Is that because it's mostly women? Maybe, maybe not. They have their own language to this day. Uh, at Plankytown, it's still spoken, yeah. but uh, we don't hear it. So we don't really know what it looks like. But also, no. we don't seem to see names. I mean, yes, probably the people um, who are with... Tyrian on the boat on the Rhine, who did come eventually originally from Planky uh, Town. Yeah. Their names may or may not be Rhenish. Like it's not even clear. It's not like the Valyrian names that are extremely different. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. So I think that's really interesting that we see this assimilation process like in real life. 
Yeah, very true. So, did you want to continue talking about your colonial history? Don't we all love talking about colonial history? Uh, <laughs> so, there is way too much to be said, even in the respect of names in French colonial history, because man, did we colonize and do some shit. But I want to focus on one thing in particular that really has a parallel in the books, and that is the abolition of slavery. So I am the abolition of slavery that happened in real life France, for real, in 1848, because it had happened for not so real during the revolution. And then Napoleon came around and was like, you know what, let's reinstall slavery. It was very nice. Yay. Great man, Napoleon. Um, so 1848, it's happening for real. And now I want to really make this parallel clear by reading a quote in my most beautiful English accent. Roy Dotris, or whatever his name is, would be so jealous. One of the first things Denny had done after the fall of Estabor was abolish the custom of giving the unsullied new slave names every day. Most of those born free had returned to their birth names. Those who still remembered them, at least. Others had called themselves after heroes or gods, and sometimes weapons, gems, and even flowers, which resulted in soldiers with some very peculiar names to Danny's ears. Grey Worm had remained Grey Worm. When she asked him why, he said, It's a lucky name. The name this one was born... Do it again. It's a lucky name. The name this one was born to was accursed. That was the name he had when he was taken for a slave. But Grey Worm is the name this one, through the day Daenerys Stormborn set him free. So, in the books, we have the abolition of slavery by uh, Daenerys in the length she um, controls. And in France, so much like the Valyrians of old or the Riscari, the French had slaves in lands that are to this day part of France. Islands in the Caribbean, Guyana in Southern America, and in La Réunion, that's an island in the Indian Ocean. Um, so the slaves uh, that the French owned there had been traded from French colonies in Africa. Easy. Inside market. Uh, so there were a lot of slaves there. And if you meet anyone who is French, and black, well, he may be from uh, like Africa. There are many African immigrants. There are many um, descendants of African immigrants who were free. Excellent. And you may also very well meet someone who is descendant of a slave from the Caribbean in particular. Uh, I personally am very close um, to mm, several families. And their names are definitely a thing of its own. Uh, so I want to stay on the topic. I am obviously totally of a mind that slavery is evil, especially when you hear what I'm just going to tell you right now, that when the slaves were brought over to these islands or in Guyana, they were cut off from their African names, so their names, right? And they were renamed to just a first name, probably a Christian one because they were also Christianized because civilization, you know, you wouldn't want these yes. African people to continue worshipping those 
pagan gods of theirs. No, 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 the one true God, and that's it. And so we give you a good old Christian name. And that actually was in the Black Code of 1685. Um... So that was a way for the slavers to feel, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm Christianizing this slave who now is Yay. probably, maybe, Excellent. possibly. They can now go yeah, to heaven. Exactly. There's some sort of human being now. They're, you know, a slave. Um, so obviously this was not done with, with a good heart, right? And a lot of the time these slaves were given similar, like same names, And so there was some nickname that was used to differentiate them. And they were often pejorative or like not nice um, or, or something really that would stand out from their body or their character or something that could actually also be traced back to where they had been bought. You know, really, really lovely things to mm. call someone. So... Uh, the white French people living in these areas, slave owners, were absolute pieces of shit. And in 1848, this time it was for real, they had to free their slaves. And even worse to them, freed men would now have a right to vote. You know? Oh, oh I know. Terrible. Because they would become French citizens and just like every... French male of over 21 year old citizen, they would be allowed to vote. Therefore, they needed a name to have on the um, mm -hmm. registrar's list and the um, electors list eventually. Except now we have a problem. We have 170,000 last names to figure out in only three months between the day of the abolition and the last day of possible enrollment on the lists. So in three months, the registrars of all the cities and towns and villages of these French territories where people were being freed from slavery had to come up with a name for them. That didn't go well, as you may imagine. So... Um, yes, for sure, they were free now, but you know, you couldn't confuse them with white people, that would be very dirty, so uh, it was forbidden by law to give them a name that a French family already used, yes, and that, that is very, you know, I don't know. What, what to say to that? So either these freed slaves already knew their last name, so maybe they had been brought over from Africa recently themselves or their parents or grandparents and they could pass down their last name, could happen, or possibly mm -hmm. they had an idea of a name to use, or maybe they did not, which was the majority of the cases. And therefore they were known named something from, I don't know, the Bible, you know, a good, uh, mm -hmm. a, a good thing. The calendar, that's actually the majority of names. So first names that were common in France would also become last names in um, these mm -hmm. places. So the Caribbean, the French Caribbean, the French Guiana and La Réunion. 
And to this day, they're the most common names, last names over there. Uh, or it could be something from mythology, because why not? You know, be creative. Think antiquity and literature, or mm -hmm. just whatever random first name. Or if when you get really tired to have to give a name to so many people who have no idea, well, you might become very creative and give some real full of shit names. I mean, you could also go to nature. Like I know someone whose name translates to um, le oui, lemongrass. Lemongrass. It, it sounds very funny in French. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's such a weird name. But um, yeah, that's when things were good. Now I'm going to read a few of these names that do exist. And I'm going to try to translate them, which... Mm -hmm. Wish me luck. Yes. So, anonyme, as a last name, that means anonymous, yes. I could be Virginie Anonyme, because why not? L'inconnu, the stranger, why not? Pas savoir, in one word, but that probably cuts out as not knowing, okay, or some. Cancan, that cancan, you know, gossip. Crétinoir, hmm, I see a very beautiful match between crétin, crétin, stupid, idiot, and noir. Black, lovely name. Uh, trou à balle, awesome. So trou, hole, balle, bullet. Trou à balle, a hole for bullets. Vulgaire, vulgar. Macaque, that, that's the name of a kind of monkey, you know, the macaque. Okay, uh, cool. L'imbécile, yeah. the imbecile. A marionette, the puppet. Should I continue? So we are talking... Those are extremely terrible names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so they are very real names that real white people assigned to very real black people who needed a name. And thing is, these white people were in power. Like, they were the ones holding the seals that could make things official. And so these white people just... Mm -hmm. Anyway, they were probably tired after waiting for hours in line at the registrar to get something official with a name on it and who knows if they even dared say fuck that shit name like they were freed slaves mm -hmm. how conscious were they of their right to say no did they even really have the right to yeah. say no so these were only a few examples and probably not even the worst now if i were to go to famous people um who may still be alive to this day from these um, parts of France that are not in Europe. So I would go with Edouard Glissant, a very famous author, whose last name Glissant means slippery. Awesome. Aimé Césaire, who's also a very famous, uh, both of them very famous thinkers, philosophers, and uh, writers. So Césaire, it's a name. Christiane Taubira, that one I had to look it up. Uh, she, She's a lawyer and a former uh, Minister of Justice in France from Guyana. Mm -hmm. And I always thought her name was like not, I've never seen her name anywhere. Turns out no one knows what it means, but it's from Guyana. And the first time it's registered is, of course, in 1848 when her ancestor um, got it. Where from? I don't know. Franz Fanon, another important thinker. Oh my God. Yeah. I <laughs> am not sure what his name means, but something to do with. Small leaves, I guess. Marius Trésor, he was a football player. Um, Trésor, treasure, 
Mm -hmm. That was nice. Thierry Henry, the football player, still alive. Oh, now he's a coach. Um, Henry, that's the name, of course, Henry. Gael Monfils, the tennis player. Monfils means my son. <laughs> but that's his last name. Who knows whose son was referred to originally. So that was just to give you an example about how, yeah, of course, sure, let's free slaves and be absolute pieces of shit in the process. I mean, there's so much more Yay. to say about it, but um, on the name front, that's roughly it. We understand how terrible everything was. And, and this, to this day, for their descendants. I mean, you can change yeah. the name if it's discriminatory. I mean, if it's going to bring discrimination against you or defamation, that's the French law. But is it easy yeah. to change your last name? Not at all. Like, it, it can mm. be done. It usually is easier on first names. And I'm not even talking about uh, trans people changing their name. That's a separate law, totally separate law. But um, I mean, usually the trick is to marry and take your spouse's name because mm. nothing forces a French woman who marries to take her husband's last name. Just like nothing makes it impossible for a French man to marry and take his wife's surname. Like that's totally doable. And that is totally being done, especially in cases yeah. where your name means asshole. Probably very happy to get rid of it, mm -hmm. except it's still your official name. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to say about um, freeing slaves in France. Yeah. You're talking about the unsullied and how it's similar to them getting mm -hmm. names and reminded me of another type of Swedish last name that I didn't mention before. Uh, and just to be clear, this isn't as no. terrible, but it's still a parallel. So uh, let me tell you about soldatnamn, soldier names. So soldiers, especially those who lived outside the cities, would historically constitute a specific social group of their own and had their own types of last names. For instance, Rask, which means quick, or Svad, sword, or Tapper, courageous, or Huttig, brisk. Yes. Brisk. Uh, so when a soldier was conscripted, they got a new name, they got a number, and they got a company. Uh, it seems like they were mostly given their name by their commander, uh, but they could sometimes request a name. And then when they were dismissed from service, someone else would take up their name and number. Uh, by the end of the 19th century, however, it became more and more common to keep your soldatnamn after your military service was over. And then uh, your the name would even be inherited by the soldier's children. Which is how we ended up with the Swedish football player Lina Huttig, who saved Sweden's ass with an incredibly close penalty kick when we played against the US during the World Cup this summer. Thank you, Lina Huttig. Uh, so, of course, this is very different from enslaved people, but there is a slight similarity with being assigned names given to soldiers and those names then being mm -hmm. recycled. Um, of course, it's much less terrible than was done with Solid, who get a new name every day. The Swedish soldiers at least got to keep it during their whole military service. And the names weren't derogatory. It was mostly like positive mm -mm. traits as a soldier or like Svad yeah. sword, which is like, I guess, a good thing to be called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it reminded me of that. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean... 
it's obviously very different, but it both both cases we could draw that to the unsolid. So that's probably why um, yeah. you thought of it. Um, yeah. Now, also to be fair, I do know people from, uh, especially Caribbean, uh, who whose name is completely fine, right? Not everyone has a terrible name. Yeah. And I mean, I even mentioned Thierry Henry, like what's wrong with that name is completely, completely fine. It's just some names, many names are properly awful. Yeah. And it is estimated that five to 10% of the million people today living in these um, French departments or um, territories, but they are closer than that. they're literally part of France. Yeah. Um, are named one of those derog- derogatory names. So 5 to 10% of 1 million people, th- that's a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Well, now we've talked a lot about names and how they can tell your status, both in our world and in ASWAF. Uh, um, do we have any final words to say about this? Uh, apart from onomastic stock? No. No. I'm just, uh, I was really fascinated to learn more about Swedish last names and how they so clearly tell, told your status uh, historically. And that's, like I said, uh, parallel to wow. Westeros when the nobles get names and other people's don't. Yeah, I remember when you told, when I suggested the theme and you said, oh, do we have much to say about that? I was like, yes, yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I would also like to talk to just formally thank uh, Institute for now mixing Swedish and English. This is bad. Uh, I would just like to formally thank you, thank Institute for Språk and Folk. <laughs> this is going on too far. I'm mixing. Okay, I would like to thank Institute for Språk och Folkminnen, uh, the Institute of Language and Folk Memory. Uh, who had a, a lot of resources mm. about language and names. It was very great. Uh, this is cool. So my uh, sources are academic sources, like I mostly do all the time. And uh, yeah. my own family and friends. Uh, I mean, because I do have that too. I mean, a name that's very personal. And turns out we all have at least one, which is great. And as I told mm. you before, if I... When I was in Canada, people thought my name was very funny because I was young at the time, which is not so true anymore. And they were like, haha, you're named like a granny. Whereas in France, I'm named like half of everyone who is my age. And my two other names, which they don't really seem to have in Canada, at least not like us, that's my grandmother's, which is super normal in France. And my last name, extremely French, no idea what it means. I mean, yeah, ideas, but... mm. You know, when you take my first name and my last name and you live outside of France for most of your life, which I have done in my adult life, and no one can pronounce it, a name becomes a very sensitive matter. And so um, I relate to Daenerys, who has a name that no one can pronounce, including in Westeros, because the Westerosi pronunciation of her name is, I mean... Uh, here I am, a linguist, doing... Actually, I'm very, very proud that I I have no care in the world for current languages. That's languages made up for fiction. But um, it was clear to me that certain things had to be pronounced a certain way to make sense. And 
the um, what's his name Peterson, David Peterson, who wrote so much, mm-hmm. like he developed right uh, the Valerian language. He and I come to the exact same conclusion. I love him. So her name would be Dinerus in High Valerian. But of course, people of Westeros who probably don't even have the sound us can't pronounce that. And so that already becomes Dinerus. And because the I is probably also not super common, you go to Daenerys. And she was born in Westeros and moved very quickly. But, you know, I'm sure she's used to the idea that her name might be Daenerys, but also she knows it should be Daenerys because she speaks High Valyrian. Now, I know my name is Virginie. Like, I have no doubt on how it's pronounced. But if you mispronounce it and I still recognize it, like, say, Virginie, Virginie, Probably not virgin, which I got a lot in Tonga. That's okay, I guess. Not virgin. Virgin, okay? I recognize you're calling me. This is fine. Sini, totally fine. The Sini, even better, because all the syllables are there. And so to me, this topic means a lot, relates a lot. And um, so on for that reason, Dainaris is the... Um, I, pr- I pronounce her name Dainaris halfway through High Valyrian and Westeros, but that's because I'm lazy. But uh, really, I, I relate to her lack of a pronounceable name. And so I wanted yeah, to... Yeah, I mean... Yeah. yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people outside of Scandinavia can't pronounce my name either. And I've mostly given up on that in Ace of Circles. Um, like, I... So some of you might have noticed in the introduction how I pronounce my first name is yeah. Lou, um, which like a short O, like Lou. Um, so not like Lou, like toilet. So <laughs> Lou. Clearly. Um, uh, and, um, but off like at some Americans pronounced it differently. And then I sort of just went with it. Uh, so often in, a, in when I do podcasts with our American friends or such, I just go, hi, I'm yeah. low, which mm, is right. like, not how you say it, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend whose name is Agnes, uh, who always in, uh, in English speaking context, when she introduces herself, she says, hi, my name is mm. Agnes, but you say yeah. Agnes in Swedish. Yeah. So No, I yeah. mean... And that's not even to speak. Okay, to be fair, that person happens to really be a black woman, but like non-white names, you know, people can't pronounce them. Well, or just names that are not from your language. Like I know in yeah. France, so France, people whose language is French or whatever that is not Breton have a hard time with certain Breton names that are not the most common ones. I mean, they're white too, right? And it's just, oh God, and their cities yeah. have such, like when you see the, the spelling, you're like, oh my God, I'm scared. <laughs> but that's because it's a different language. And usually once you've heard it, yeah. you're like, okay, sure, yeah, can do this. But you need to hear it first and remember. And so again, yeah. when someone mispronounces my name first or last, as long as I recognize it's me, it's fine. Just don't call me Virginia. Because last I checked, there was no A <laughs> at the end of my name. But an no. E that is not pronounced. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and when you see my name spelt 
I don't know, maybe on Twitter, and you keep misspelling it. When answering me, I'm like, I have to actually believe you're doing it on purpose. It's not so hard. Yeah, I uh, I have a coworker whose name is Miriam, uh, and a while back, someone emailed both of us, um, and like like most people in her email address, it's Miriam dot last name at or organization, and the person was like. Hi, Lou and Mariam. And I was like, mm. it's literally right mm. there. It says Miriam, yeah. not Mariam. Um, I know when people misspell my name, usually by changing the E for A, I tend to either be super nice because, you know, like in an email, I probably don't know the person. And I'm like, all right, maybe it's their yeah. phone actually or their computer that auto-corrected it. That happens. Mm. It certainly happens mm. to me. So, you know. Um, I just make sure my signature is not missing the second time. I tend to capitalize mm-hmm. the E at the end, which looks funny. So you're like, okay. And I mean, a funny thing about... No, no and the third time, if there is a third time of misspelling my name, I misspell their name. End of the story. I mean, the fun thing about... So Lou has two meanings in Swedish. Uh, one is mm-hmm. links. Uh, like the animal and the other the acronym lo is uh oh how do you say this in english like um umbrella organization of several yes. trade unions yes uh so i often have people have autocorrect spell it like two yes. capitalized letters i am not surprised yeah so yeah oh. well uh like like you said uh this topic had a lot more to give than I thought. It was super interesting. I ended up reading a whole PhD dissertation about changing Sami and uh, Finnish names to Swedish names. Thank you, Marit Frendien, for that. Well, that's great. I'm really, really super happy you enjoyed it. Uh, it's probably time we wrap up. And thank our wonderful yes. listeners who are still with us after 500 million hours of old talk us talking uh so thank you so much for listening and thank you so very much little wolfbird for the audio engineering we don't know what we would be doing without you no no and thank you matt graham for the theme music um that uses sounds from subsplat.com i probably very very well pronounced that huh. anyway people love so Dear listeners, thank you so much again for being with us. And please write to us if you have any comments or any questions, because we are so fascinating today. You have many questions. And uh, maybe, low, you can refresh us on our social media and email. Yes. So you can find us at Ragman's Pod on Twitter and Blue Sky. And on Blue Sky, it's those at social or whatever thingy at the end as well. And you can find us, uh, you can email us at ragmanspod at gmail.com. So thank you so much for listening. And we'll speak to you soon-ish. Yes.